0: Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine.
1: Phil, you have your Birds of Paradise shirt on today.
2: Those aren't Birds of Paradise. Those are flowers.
1: That's what a bird of paradise is. There
2: okay. you go. Yeah. yeah. That's
1: the name of that kind of flower.
2: Yeah. All right. So Why I've, do they name a flower after a bird?
1: Because the flower reminded them of a bird.
2: Okay. Flutterby.
1: Really deep conversation Flo- this flutterby. morning. Flutterby. And then you have... Oh, I see what you're doing here. You have your cheeseburger socks on. Well,
2: they're black with like so a yellow... So then we
1: have... Cheeseburgers in Paradise. Do you oh, know where that's from?
2: I, I think I do.
1: Well, not everybody might.
2: And Jimmy Buffett, of Jimmy course. Jimmy Buffett. Yep. Yes.
1: And so we're camping in Rhode Island um, this weekend, which has nothing to do with Paradise, but it is a nice place to visit.
2: It's close. It's closer to Paradise than Manchester, Connecticut. Can I say that on air.
1: No, you shouldn't say that about oh, our hometown. It's been good to us.
2: Uh, it has been good, and I've been there since 1959. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so that shirt's becoming very familiar to me, as are the socks, and one of the things I was thinking about this morning as we get ready for our podcast guest was that all Car people feel familiar to me. Like, I feel like I know them already, and I thought that I had met our guest today, but I hadn't, but it's just that feeling that car gives that everybody's connected, and so
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's like... You've never met Dominic? I don't think I have. Do you want to say
2: hi, Dominic? Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet
3: you nice to meet you <laughs> are you a little nervous I am a little nervous I always get nervous when I have mics in front of me for some reason
2: but I know you like to tell a story or two that's definitely in your repertoire and you
1: have a great voice for this
2: I love to talk. <laughs> you, Phil, Phil said so. <laughs> <laughs> when did I say that? When we were
3: on the phone, when you were telling me about the podcast. Oh, did You're I? You Like, but you really, you really like to talk a lot,
2: so you should come on. <laughs> yeah.
1: I also haven't no. seen that car swag, which I like a lot.
2: Oh, thank you. The
1: black and white version.
2: This is a, That's his design, right?
3: It is. All right. Yeah. It is. Well, because um, well now they do, but before they didn't make. Size clothes. I'm a big guy, so they didn't, and my head's very big too. So the hats in the C Car swag actually didn't fit me. So got, I asked. Yeah. I asked if I could make something for myself. Plus, I like the uniform look. Mhm. So
1: yeah, I like you it. You do.
2: I do. So what's your role here at C Car now?
3: Now I am a uh, Department of Corrections recovery coach um, for the initiative that we have, and I also do. Um, with the uh, Manchester Police Department and the HOPE Initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, I also work with guys that either have overdosed or um, have somehow gotten in touch with the law or have come into the police station. They still have that um, and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And they can turn in uh, whatever substances they're using and, and just ask for help and stuff like that.
1: That's awesome.
2: He does that in
3: Manchester.
1: Yeah, our town, which is a great town. Uh,
2: yes, it's a great town. So... What is it? The City of Village so Charm. <laughs> City of Village Charm and also Silk City.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So you say you're a Department of Correction recovery coach, but you are a CCAR recovery coach that works primarily with in the Department of Correction and the program we have there. Just to make that little distinction. Yes. Right. So we like to start at the very beginning and you've listened to some of our podcasts and watched some of them. So I'm going to ask you, what was little Dom like? And maybe I'll ask something a little irreverent. Were you ever little?
3: No. <laughs> no, no. Um, actually, um, no, don't, that's don't no. It. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> I actually was very small. Um, I was very small when I was a kid. You were? Uh, I was. I was. And actually, so I actually didn't gain. Uh, I didn't actually gain weight till I got into recovery. Oh, wow. So I was very, very thin. All the way up until I
2: uh, got into recovery. But you always had a big head. I did because humongous head. I've had big head too, and once you have, it doesn't matter what size your body is, your head stays the same.
1: We had we had one. We have three big
2: heads right here.
1: We had one child with um, the biggest (laughs) head Rockville General Hospital had ever seen. They had to go out and get a handmade hat for him because he didn't fit in any of the newborn babies. That was Matthew. Yes,
2: we always talk about Matthew. Yeah. On this podcast.
1: Unintentionally.
2: And, yeah, our big-headed baby. I think my head got bigger as I got older. Got, uh, I don't think it was big right off the start, but it's
3: definitely big now. I'm close to an eight. That's pretty big.
1: You know, I found a whole study when he was a baby because his uh, older siblings gave him a little bit of a hard time for his big head, and there's a study <laughs> that shows that Sounds that right. does equate to brain size and capacity and an intellect, so it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh
3: so you were a skinny little kid i was i was um i was a skinny little kid and where'd you grow up i grew up in so i was born i was born in jacksonville florida but we moved um to springfield mass when i was i think like i was like two or three mm-hmm. um so i predominantly grew up in springfield um, but just about everywhere around that area mm-hmm. um, I grew up, well, I was in Springfield for a long time. Then my mom um, tried to move us kind of to the suburb area of Agwam And when I got kicked out of those schools, I had to go to Chickabee. So I've lived kind of just about everywhere. And then we lived in Springfield again
2: um, when I was older. Well, you, no, you did skip over a little piece there <laughs>
3: when I got kicked out <laughs> of those schools. <laughs> I did. I did. So, yeah, I had a, uh, I had a rough um I was I was kind of a, you know, bad when it came to school, very good in other things, but I guess as somebody in recovery, I've always had a little bit of an issue with, I've had an authority complex, I think you could call it. Um, so for me, teachers and, and different stuff, I always had kind of, and I like to question everything, and sometimes that drives people crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but not like in a bad way, I guess when I was a kid, it might have been came off you know, that way, but you know, I like to kind of question everything and, and study everything and you know, I like to to be a free thinker. Did you
1: grow up living with your mom and dad?
3: Um, just just my mom. My dad I mean my dad was um my dad actually died from uh the disease of addiction. Um much older in life, but my mom had to separate you from my dad when I was a little kid because my dad was uh, he was an alcoholic, but he was also a uh, opioid use. He had opioid use disorder. So he would go on, you know, binges like we do and stuff. But for the most part, um, you know, he suffered for alcoholism all the way up till he passed away mm-hmm. from, uh, disease failure, or, um, liver failure.
2: So did you see him a lot growing up?
3: No, here and there. Um, my dad wasn't really around too much. Um, you know, through the process of recovery, I forgive him. You know, I realized that he had, uh, you know, he suffered from the same disease that I do. Um, but no, he, he wasn't, he wasn't around much. Mm. And, uh, when he was around, he made it quite clear that he was unhappy <laughs> to be around. I, I don't know. My, my dad and in my relationship were very strained and he always forgot my birthday and, I've always, it was a deep-rooted resentment that took me, like, five, four steps to get over.
2: Wow. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I detect some emotion in your voice, and I know that uh, you're a dad. I am. And, mm-hmm. and I think you're a little bit different, you probably have a little bit different techniques than your father had, because I see pictures of you and your, it's just so adorable, right? Thank you. Yeah.
1: Do you have siblings?
2: My brother, um, yeah, I
3: had, I had one brother, um, he passed away in early recovery um, from uh, congestional heart failure. Oh, wow. um, when he was a kid, when I was a kid, my brother had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, I basically, most of my young life, I grew up in the hospital, like I remember being a little kid, like my memories of being a little kid that I actually remember are being in that, like, family room with the Galaga game. Mm -hmm. Um, They had, like, a free arcade game, and that, like, you know, I just remember video games and always feeling like uh, my brother was going to die when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Was he
1: older or younger?
3: He's my older brother. A couple years. Yeah. A couple years older. So that was a a tough one for me. Do you talk
2: about this a lot?
3: I... Sometimes sometimes when I tell my story, I kind of just tell it from, like, my adulthood. Um, I try not to.
2: But I'm okay talking about it with you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So what's the real tough part for you? I'll just dive right into the tough question. Yeah. <laughs> no,
3: the, the tough part is when I finally made an amends to my brother, I only got to spend, like, two years, uh, three years, three years with him. Mm-hmm. So when we finally had a relationship where we talked every night and uh became like like we were when we were real young like brothers um yeah he ended up passing away
2: Mm -hmm. and that was that that a surprise or was it uh was it sudden
3: uh no he was he's he's been sick a majority of his life yeah um but they told him when i i believe he was 12 because i was like eight and he was three years older so Um, when he was 12, they said he only had a couple months to live, um, and he lived till I believe he was 35, 30, was he 35 or 36 when he passed away. Mm -hmm. So my brother was a fighter for sure.
2: Yeah, definitely. So that was 14, 24 years, 24 years. He lived
3: way past what they said. (laughs) All right.
2: So you were, you're talking about, so you had this going on at home. You, uh, didn't like authority. You got kicked out of schools? Like, kicked out of schools and asked to move, or...?
3: I, w- I was expelled from AGWAM mm-hmm. um, school system, and Chickabee was the only one that would take me. For what? Do you remember? Fighting suspensions. You're a fighter. Smoking dope, yeah, <laughs> all yeah. kinds of stuff. <laughs> you know and how old were you they never caught me smoking dope but i'd go into class and the teachers would smell it and be like get out of my
2: classroom how how old were you when all this was happening um how old are you when you're in high school i don't know yeah (laughs) you're mid teens. (laughs) yeah
3: i was like 13 to 18 maybe
2: um do you remember the first time you used and what the circumstances were
3: it was just, it was for fun. So when I first started using it, was for fun. So I was <laughs> I was probably 12, actually, when I first smoked uh, weed mm-hmm. and drank alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was for fun, just, you know, me and the guys wanted to party like we were older. I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. I never knew when I was that young that it was going to trigger a lifelong addiction. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't know that. We were just trying to have fun. And I do share that a lot when I speak at, at different, you know, meetings and stuff, fellowships. And um, I did not know that it was going to trigger this horrific addiction
2: for the next, was it, 15, 16 years? So. Yeah. Uh, my son often talks about um, working recently, and I think I shared this before on other podcasts on um, what's fun. You know, and you use that like, yeah, like, how do you define fun and why do it? Because I thought it was fun too. And I knew that when I used when I was 12, 13, 14, I think I first really got drunk at age 13, that I thought it was fun. Well, man, my concept of fun was so off. I mean, it wasn't. Did you find it have fun when you drank? Would you just say that?
1: So I could <laughs> do things. See the things. Light go out and <laughs> I She could,
2: remembered something.
1: Well, it got rid of my inhibitions, so I could fully participate yeah. in whatever was happening mm-hmm. because I was very, you know, I thought I was shy, but introverted, uncomfortable in my own skin. So the minute I drank, I put on some kind of, uh, you know, cast on a new self that allowed me to fully do whatever it was. Um, which was usually a choice harmful to myself, potentially others, but worked for a while.
2: Yeah, it made me, uh, when I first used, made me feel good. Um, I don't know if I was to the point where it made me feel better yet, but I loved what the feeling it gave me. Mm -hmm. You know, I loved being out of control. I loved, uh, I loved the, like, the buzz and the high and, and being dizzy and goofy and, you know, yeah. You too.
3: Yeah, I I absolutely agree with both of you. Actually, <laughs> yeah. so um, I've thought about it a lot. I've yeah. thought it about it a lot. I mean, some of it could be partly I wanted to escape from different things that were going on in life because it was one of my um, one of my ways of my coping mechanisms. It could have been part of that part. I loved the laugh and goof when we first started getting Or we would laugh and we would throw food at each other and we would just like it, it was, you know, like, I guess fun was just having that connection. But I didn't realize wow. I didn't realize that I could have that connection without the substance. Mm. And I think soon the substance controlled any connection that I had.
2: Right. And uh, I think that's where the addiction set in for me. Did you have a crew you hung around with? Oh yeah. So describe some yeah. of the crew members, and do you remember any of them? Yeah, when I was <laughs>
3: real young, I used to t- skateboard with some guys. You're a skateboarder. I, I was wow. well when I was young. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I could probably still. I tried to ollie uh, a little while ago, and as big as I am, I did pull one off. I think like it was like two, three years ago. Somebody had a skateboard. So, yeah, <laughs> so on. what's an ollie? Ollie is just when you kick the board up and kind of do like a hop. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I was like, I still got it. Didn't kill myself. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) It's funny driving here today. I saw Hartford has those scooters that are connected. You can grab a scooter and mm -hmm. take it electric scooter. And I was like, I wonder. And then I'm like, No, 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 no. Right. I fall more than I stand.
3: Should have took it for a spin. I might. I I see him cruising when when I'm at the Hartford. You
2: can just like hit the and and do they have a barcode thing and just bang. But anyway, so...
1: After the podcast, we'll all go. I want to hear some there. of
2: your crew members, what your, your skateboarding crew. Oh, um,
3: so one of my really good friends um, was Jason. Um, <laughs> and Jason, you know, we all had, like, the long hair and the, you know. Um, you know, who was that? Kyle, Jake... Um, I forget. There's there's so much of my past. There was mm-hmm. there was a lot of us though. There was there was a lot of guys when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's when I was really really young. Um, but yeah, we just we just kind of hung around. But I think uh, I actually believe I think me and Jason. Um, I think me and Jason were the first one. I think that's the first person I was with when I smoked pot. Mm-hmm. It was me and Jay. We got some from school and we went out. Well. <laughs> Forgive me for the glorification. We went out nah, to school nah. and we we went out to the woods and like made a soda can and we thought we were so cool, man. We you know we did the soda know. can pipe, the soda can pipe. I made those yeah, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
2: you, you know what we're talking
3: about. You just, know, just some, never mind. some <laughs> holes in a soda can. You're know, like me, yeah. So you know we thought we were so cool, but me and him used to laugh. We had we had fun together, man. We were like we were tight. He actually um, he actually. uh. You know, and I will mention this because I think it's important. He actually committed suicide a couple of years ago. It's too bad. Um, sorry to hear that. And I think it's important to to talk about that sometimes. Yeah.
1: Sure.
3: Um but he was he was a really good kid, but uh addiction had also gotten a hold of him and as we know the the hopelessness sometimes is can be um can be devastating to some mm-hmm. people and and hard to climb out of. Um so but Jason was uh I remember him the most because we stayed friends even though we moved to different like he came to connecticut long before me uh he was out, out in windsor locks and stuff and uh, i used to come out to connecticut and visit him mm-hmm. and we'd go skateboarding around like windsor locks like and get kicked out by the cops get out of here you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so but um yeah he was he was he was one of my he was one of my uh, closest friends and then but i've had different stages of close friends yeah um yeah then my other friend was steven Mm -hmm. um this was a little later on in life if we're talking about friends he was he was my all-time best friend for until i was into my adulthood Uh, i made a very bad mistake and his wife yeah his, his his wife won't let me talk to him or be friends with him anymore that's a touchy one
2: too. <laughs>
3: get emotional
2: are you get out like that no, touch <laughs>
3: I will tell you about it. Um, in active addiction i was I was hanging out with these these girls that used heroin. This is when I first started using heroin. I think I was probably like eighteen mm-hmm. um, and I had bags of heroin in my pocket and I and Stephen had already had uh, a child in his house and I went over there. And uh, I dropped a bag of dope in his house. Oh! And I made a very bad mistake.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: We do Todd that, Philly. You got me all. <laughs> no, we do. We do that, and we do that in our addiction, and not, we're we're still, you know, as we heal, these things come up, and we deal with them, and. I think the hardest person to forgive is ourselves, yeah. right? And uh, I forgive you for that, but what does my forgiveness do? You have to forgive yourself, right? And you know who's forgiven you for that? Of course, yes. Right? And I and I do I do forgive myself.
3: And his mom is his mom always supports me on my recovery stuff and everything else. And I think his his family f- forgave me, but still, like you know, you lose your best friend and then. I mean, we were best friends from like our whole, you know, probably like the same time, like as me and Jason, we were all friends, and then like I was friends with him. He was like my best best friend, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: And so when he found the, he found the the dope, and, and they was, thought they thought, thought you were the trying... kid
3: they thought the kid had um, taken it. Oh my gosh! And um, there was like this thing with DCF. I, I just the wreckage that we yeah. That we do an um, act of addiction is, and we just don't know. And of course, I would never harm him or his, oh, or anybody, right. you know what I mean? Right.
1: I think, you know, we try to teach our children as they're growing up to know that there is unanticipated outcomes for behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. right. You can't, you know, our teenagers have been so sure that nothing bad is going to happen if they do A, B, C, or D. And you try to highlight some of the things that could potentially happen, and I'm always the risk-averse person. And, uh, you know, yeah. So I think, particularly with addiction, you have no idea. You have no idea when you're using what could potentially happen. You can't even predict it sometimes. You could have never predicted that.
2: That's one of the the definitions of how I've framed my use of alcohol, that I could never safely predict what was going to happen, ever. Because I didn't know if I was going to be the lover, the fighter, the clown. Uh, But I could have been all three in the same night. Anytime I drank, I could. But I never knew which one it was going to be. Well, it looks like we... We got him quiet. That's uh, like I'm a little was, unusual. That's was the a little
3: child
4: unusual.
3: Okay? I'm sorry. The child, the yeah. child was absolutely fine. Um, everything, everything turned out. But like, I love children, so it's like mm-hmm. the one thing for me is like, if I ever unintentionally hurt a child, oh, yeah, yeah. I, it's like something that I can never forgive yeah. myself right. for. Right. It's gotcha. just like one of those things. No, I'm,
1: I'm with you. That's one of the things. Teaching our kids to drive, my worst fear. I don't want them to get hurt, but the potential of them hurting a child because of mm-hmm. the areas that they happen to be driving is always. Yep.
2: Slow my heart. down in the neighborhoods.
1: Backing up, all that stuff.
3: I was lucky. My daughter's a very good driver. <laughs> Not the little one. I have a. I also have an 18. Well, soon yeah. to be 18 year old. Um, so this Monday she goes to college, uh-huh. and uh, she's going to criminal justice right. in the uh, for in West Haven. Um, to college, so it's super
2: exciting. Um, See what he did there he He jumped out of his past because he was inside <laughs> the oh, We, we, and can, don't, we don't can go, don't go don't back, don't
3: but uh, no, you know. Um, well, we're, I'm super proud of her, and yeah. I do have two. So one's 18 months, one's 18, almost 18 years old. So there's a huge gap in mm-hmm. between. Yeah, uh, my kids too. So mm-hmm. it's you know
1: we we have almost that. We have 17 and 32, so that's 15? No. No, she's going
2: to be 30, 35.
1: 30. Wow. No.
2: 34 this year.
1: 34. So 34 and six,
2: 16.
1: 16. Yeah. Same thing. 18.
2: Eight. Wow. Between so I have a 34-year-old daughter, youngest. and then Sandy and I have, I don't can you get all the ages right? Joshua's Almost
1: 27, <laughs> 25, <laughs> 19, 16.
2: Yep. Wow. So
1: we know what the and I grew up uh, <coughs> four <coughs> kids, and then 14 years later, I arrived. So I, that is a uh, unique family situation for sure. So how did you end up with that 18-year-old?
4: Oh,
1: I'm wait, taking well, back. <laughs> All right. Well, okay.
2: Sandy, I thought we, I know it took us a while to figure out what was happening, but I think, you know, most of okay. us know how we right. end up with a child. Phil
1: Valentine. Anyway, ba- I'm taking you back. Eighteen years. What was happening? Or
2: even what that. L- let's just. I want to hear that. You know, he's only in the teens. I, I do want to hear. Like you said, you were 18. good at. You were good at some things. Like not so good at school. You were good at skateboarding. Were you an athlete at all? Did you play sports? No, I. So even till this day. Um,
3: I really could care less about sports. I have, like, this real... I mean, I did play... So when I was a kid, I played soccer for holy name. We did win a trophy, but, like... And then I played baseball once or twice, and I did play football and, you know, different stuff. But I didn't really care about sports. I think I just did it for connection.
2: Well, skateboarding is a sport, too. Yeah, Yeah, and I wasn't really much good at most sports. So what happened when your high school
3: days were over? Um... My high school days were over the day they started. <laughs> so my high school days were very... Um, so I spent two years in ninth grade in Aguam. When I got kicked out of there, I spent another two years in ninth grade in Chicopee.
2: Um, so you went to ninth grade for four years? Correct. Wow. Yeah. That's like a record, isn't it?
3: It is. It is. But I did pass my GED without even blinking an eye. Yeah, and it doesn't when they, me. When they sent me the scores... Um, i was in like the 90 percentile i still have them till this day i was like in the 90 percentile uh-huh. for everything you
1: probably didn't study
3: not at all Mm-mm. yeah i went and took him my brother so my brother that passed away forced me to go with him to take the test he's like you're going to get your ga i'm mm-hmm. like i don't need it he's like you're going mm-hmm. he's like because you're going to go with me and i need to go get mine
4: mm-hmm.
3: um <laughs> and i got mine without blinking an eye and my poor brother failed the first time oh yes and he was livid man mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my brother was a firecracker he was like i can't believe him mm-hmm. so but he he did end up getting his gd and uh he actually ended up um he wasn't able to go through the whole police academy um later on in life Uh, because of his heart condition but he did become what they call a special police officer where he did like events and different things like that Mm -hmm. so he went from also having kind of a troubled youth to wanting to change his life around um when he was older too so my brother didn't really do drugs he wasn't an addict Mm -hmm. or anything like that um but he was very much so like into the Sopranos a little too much, let's put it that way. So he was he was a little much sometimes, but I love him, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, so, so I misunderstood when you said that he passed away in early recovery. It was your recovery. It was my recovery. That, yeah. mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Okay. Yeah, I was three years. Three years. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank goodness. Right? How many
2: years of recovery are you now?
3: Uh, eleven, like okay, cool. eleven and some change. All right. July fourth
2: was my. All right, so. What did you do to like pay bills or get by? In early recovery? No, it, when no when <laughs> you, you got your
1: GED oh, after
2: after you your four years of ninth grade. Oh well, yeah. yeah let's
3: take it back there. <laughs> yeah. So no, I was I was homeless for so
1: what?
3: oh I was homeless for a very very long time. So my, not after my GED like my mom, um, but my addiction was always um, ever evolving. Mm -hmm. faster and faster and faster so yeah i'd gone with my brother to get my gd but i was already um kind of a recluse um my my addiction so i've i've been to maybe like over 20 detoxes i think and i've been to about seven programs and i just every time i just didn't get it my last program was uh teen challenge in new haven and than the Salvation Army in the North End here in Harvard. Mm-hmm. and uh, I've been, you know, clean silver ever since. So, but back when I was a kid and I got my GD and all that stuff, that was my brother forced me to do it because I was he wanted me to try to do better in life because he's seen mm-hmm. that I was. Um, but me and my brother had a couple falling outs. That's what I meant. Like I finally had that relationship that was strong. Like when we were little, when he passed away, because. Um, you know, I had lost that my addiction. He didn't understand addiction, especially when I had my daughter, um, you know, 18 years ago. He'd be like, he's like, you have a kid, you need to just stop using it. He's like, you could stop using, you could do it. He's like, you know, I don't understand why you won't, you have a child, why you won't just stop using drugs. And I wish it was just that simple. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I tried so many times, I went to so many detoxes and my brother picked me up from treatments like out in the woods somewhere like in mm-hmm. massachusetts rhode island i've been just about everywhere they would try to send me as far as they could so that like i couldn't escape <laughs> mm-hmm. you know oh i'm sorry um but yeah so my you know I, i'd say like from t- i think i was like 23. i think it was about five years that i was homeless um at the the, the I believe it was like the 15th time I was at Providence Hospital um, in Massachusetts. The lady had called me and the thing and she's like, yeah, you can't stay here. And I was like, why? She's like, no, no. She's like, I'm giving you three days and you're gonna go downstairs and you're gonna get on the methadone clinic. And she's like, and you're never coming back here. And they basically blacklisted me from the detox mm-hmm. um, because I was using it. So as I do, I was kind of using it as a shelter. Until the, when it got real, real hard, I'd go to detox again when it got real, real hard. But it was like an every-two-month thing for years. Um, and finally, she was just like, no, you're going downstairs. She's like, detox isn't working for you.
2: Where's Providence Hospital? Is it in Providence? It's in Holyoke. Holyoke, Yeah, but okay. it's called
3: Providence Hospital. Yeah. Gotcha. Holyoke, Mass, yeah.
2: Right, not very
3: far from where we use that.
2: <laughs> it's, always, it's always such a surprise to me to... To hear you telling this story about being homeless for five years, revolving around in in and out of detoxes, I can't even imagine what your street life was like and how you were all of that, and trying to um, align it with the person I'm seeing talking to us now. It doesn't seem like the same person, does it? I
1: listen to this story and think of how perfectly his experiences would equip him to do exactly what he's Mm -hmm. doing today
4: yeah I agree with you (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. that's that's why I love doing what I do today Mm -hmm. Um, but yes the street life was traumatizing to say the least I've been through things that I don't wish on anybody Mm -hmm. Um, I did get in trouble with the law when I was in North Carolina did I even mention that I tried to go to North Carolina to get clean (laughs) so I know I skip around a lot but yeah, so at one point in time, my uncle, my my, uh, my mom's brother, um, Al, had taken me to North Carolina to try to... The geographical change didn't work.
2: Uh, just um, move into their house or go to a treatment setting or do... just. No, move? I'm...
3: Yeah, I moved down to his house. He owned a limo company and he was like, you're going to come work for me. Where in North Carolina? Uh, Raleigh. Well, he was... Uh. So it was near Raleigh. We worked... Our company was kind of like a Raleigh company, which is the capital, but mm-hmm. it was over... Um, in Wendell, like mm-hmm. next to Zebulon, Nightdale, or kind okay. of places yeah. m- people might know, but Wendell is like Johnson County. It's like out in the. Mm-hmm. It's not really like any type of city, and it's only like this big. So. <laughs> yeah. so there's some unusual
1: thinking. Let me let me take a nephew who has a strong addiction and put him behind the wheel of a limousine.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I had I had just got out of treatment when he took oh, Okay. Me. Yeah, but I had already. The minute I got a treatment, I called up some girl, and we started smoking dope again. And, you know, it I, I was already back in my mind running. So when I went to North Carolina, first thing I did after being there for a week was like, well, i got to find out where the connects are here. So my mind, I didn't change anything. I took me with me, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important thing for a lot of us when we share in recovery is I, I have the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. So, like... I have to combat the disease of addiction. It doesn't matter where I am on the planet, I still have the disease of addiction. So I thought that, like, if I went down there, that, like, I could just smoke weed safely. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the geographical change, the substitution for one for another, all those things that I thought would somehow... Well, I can't. I can't quit doing this. Mm-hmm. That's what I would tell myself. Well, I have to have something. There's no way I could be sober. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, well, at least I have to drink. You know, like <laughs> that was my mindset. And uh, come to find out, I'm the kind of guy. My pathway has to be abstinence based because I can't do anything safely. Mm-hmm. Um, it always ends me up to the same exact thing um, over and over again. And I've tried so many different ways through all those years. I. I've been up and down, up and down, you know.
2: You know how we at CAR tell our stories, right? The storytelling piece. I'm going to push you a little bit. I know you're surprised. What was your darkest moment in your addiction history?
3: Um, My darkest moment is in the winter. One winter I had missed the shelter i was i was getting loaded and i missed going to the shelter and i got angry with them started cussing da, da, da and i was like well whatever well i'm gonna go get high then and when i was already again, you know mm-hmm. so i went over to holyoke so basically um it, it was winter time i was freezing to death
2: were you walking around i was walking
3: yeah um probably like in a hoodie and maybe like some jeans and sneakers. Did no you, boots. Have any,
2: you have any clothes on you? At all?
3: I lived out of like a backpack. Mm-hmm. My mom tried to help. Like when I was homeless for all that time, she would like bring me different clothes and stuff. Like, but I lived out of a backpack for years. Wow. Yeah, I lived out of a backpack for years. And you,
2: that's longer than any Appalachian Trail through hike. That's oh, my God. It,
3: and I got really good exercise, too, back then. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I would walk for, for days and days and days. But this one specific day, um, it was freezing, like, a negative. It was, like, negative. It gets real cold sometimes. I don't know, like, yeah. in the tens, negative tens, something like that. And it had been a couple of days. And when the drugs started to wear off, I realized that I was freezing to death. Mm-hmm. Like, my bones, like, it just started coming through me, and I realized that I couldn't feel my toes, I couldn't feel my hands. So I had to break into a building and sleep next to a boiler. Um, I wish I could say that was the driving force, but it wasn't. After I warmed up, and the next day I went to keep on going, keep on going. But that was a dark moment. When I think about that time now where I almost froze to death... um, and how I had to come to, you know, in, in you know, in my recovery pathway, it talks about being resorting to an animalistic level. I felt almost less than human having to sleep next to a boiler. Did you,
2: and what were you eating at this time or were you?
3: No. No? No.
2: I lived on.
3: Double cheeseburgers, maybe like every other day for McDonald's. Like if I could get two bucks and my stomach was, if I was so hungry where I felt like I was going to die if I didn't eat, mm-hmm. I would spend the two bucks. But spending money for somebody that's an active addiction is very tough when you need the next one. So for you, me.
1: This is naive, but how did you even get money for drugs? Were, I oh. mean selling is the obvious <laughs> we're not gonna thing? self-incriminate ourselves okay. <laughs> no, no,
3: but. but but I well I mean I did so I did work like I would find people like and work and uh, you know to tell you the truth I was a master manipulator I I used people I've made a lot of amends in my recovery mm-hmm. but I've I was I was a user and I didn't just use drugs I used people because I didn't know what else to do because I was so in the grips.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That I didn't really have any choice. And most of the time I couldn't use people, so we do things, we boost, we do all kinds of stuff to to get the next
2: one. So. Well I think all the statute of limitations. This is over are. on that. <laughs> yeah, it's been eleven years.
4: <laughs> so yeah, we we
3: steal stuff, we do different stuff. Um you know, when you live on the street and a lot of times I stole to eat. I lived on, like, those snacks that were right next to the front door. It's easy to walk to the back if nobody's looking. I walk by and I'd snap, and maybe that would be the only thing I eat all day.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: For a whole day would have been, like, a honey bun. Whatever you could snatch as quick as you can, because mm-hmm. you don't want to go to jail. Right. Over a 25 cents honey bun, right? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: Phil still likes honey buns. Yeah, I do,
2: on occasion. They are they a great pies. trail food. Oh, those are good. I just... Uh, And would you, was there, oftentimes people think they're, like, there's a homeless community. Were you involved in a community, or were you pretty much just isolated? So,
3: no, I wasn't. But there is, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of homeless communities, even, well, there's tons of homeless communities, yes. That's actually a big thing that a lot of people don't know about. It's, um, but... I guess I would, I guess I, like, knew some of the people, but I didn't, like, really stay with them. I was a walker. Like, I would try to sleep during the day by myself when it was warm for maybe, like, an hour or two. And when I would wake up, I would start walking again. So I might have walked, I might have walked, like, Forrest Gump style, like, halfway. If I added up all my steps, I might have made it halfway across America uh, in those years, you know. Um another reason probably <laughs> no. I used to walk and walk and walk and walk and walk where, I never were stopped. where were you where'd you walk to Springfield I'd walk West Springfield Holyoke just anywhere where I felt like I can continue going where I was going and I wasn't going anywhere did anybody know you Oh, I know tons of people. Ooh, yeah, right. even till this day, I stay away from Springfield. <laughs> I, it, it, it's been eleven years, but I guarantee you, I go there. There's a lot of people I know. I, I did go to the NA convention there, but um, and I did meet a, I actually seen a couple people that I use with that were at the convention, and um, you know, I pray for them all the time. They were just getting into early recovery, um, and uh, but I have ran into people that are trying to make it out there.
4: What do
2: you think it would be like to walk through some of those old streets today for you?
3: I actually, so when I went to the convention, me and my, um, me and my sponsor, he drove through some of the streets. Right. And I showed him the place where I used to go in and bathe in the sink. I brought him in there. So there's, there's this place called like Tower Square. Yeah. I think that's, they, they probably still call it that. Um, but they've done so much work in Springfield with the casino. I don't mm-hmm. know if, but Tower Square There used to be a Dunkin' Donuts there, and, like, if you go up the escalator, there was a a bathroom that, like, nobody would bother you. You could go into the bathroom, and I used to wash up in there and and change out my clothes. And what was it like
2: to go in there?
1: Sober.
3: It didn't actually affect me like I thought it would.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: How about that? I used the bathroom, and I was just like... Well, that's where I used to take a bath, kind of, sort of. <laughs> he's like, "Wow!" He's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah." And He's like, "You know." And this was when I had like eight years, but for somebody with like at the time he had only a couple of years, it seems like, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, it is um, amazing. But for me, it it was it was it was nothing. I was like, "You want a sandwich?" And then I bought him a sandwich. <laughs> Because you know. I love them. I've had the same sponsor for seven years. Yeah, that's cool. Sponsoring one of the
2: same guys, yeah. So let's take you up to uh, Team Challenge in New Haven. And how'd you end up there? And
1: Do you already have your daughter? Your oldest daughter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Um, my oldest daughter... Um, she had to be six or seven. When I got clean, she was six. Yeah. Yeah, she had just turned six. Because she's not 18 yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, she had just turned six. Um, I actually have a picture of me and my brother and my mom and and my daughter when she was just six. She was so cute, little pigtails and stuff. um, At the Teen Challenge. So, actually, so just recently I had to, I changed my date to July 4th because the picture from uh, when I went there, um, I actually used to think it was June 6th. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that my sobriety date is actually July 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's been saying that for the last couple of years, but, you know, we know best. <laughs> right. So she's been like, no, it's in July. I'm like, no, it's June. I'm like, I know. She's like, no, you
1: don't. It's kind of cool. Independence Day. Independence yeah. From yeah.
3: Yep. So, Freedom. But I do remember a Teen Challenge. So I was on a 140 milligrams of methadone.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I was active. Is that a lot or a little? That's a lot. Okay, and
2: just so people that, know. I yeah, understand.
3: that's that's a, a real lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I was actively, you know, smoking and shooting cocaine, um, benzos. Um, I was really addicted to Xanax. For, you're su- you're a very, such very, a mess. I was a mess. <laughs> I was a mess, man. And I was I was super addicted to benzos for a very very long time. And. Uh, Yeah, this time I didn't do a detox. I didn't do anything. I just went to Teen Challenge and surrendered. And I detoxed there. They let me detox there um, with Tylenol and Benadryl. That's what I detoxed there with. And, you know, they prayed for me. And after about four and a half months, I left there to go to the Salvation Army. Um, But it took me about four and a half months to sleep even a little bit uh, i had to like teach <sighs> my body how to sleep again uh, i'd be up all night at like every hour on the hour on the hour because um, i didn't know how to sleep anymore and it had been a long long time and then you just kind of sleeping was just like more or less like power napping through your existence
1: yeah
3: kind of sorta and um i had to learn how to sleep again and once i could finally sleep again I didn't really want to be at Teen Challenge anymore, and I wanted to be somewhere where I could choose my own pathway of recovery. Um, I love everything about Teen Challenge, except for I wanted to go to meetings and I wanted to be involved, and I think everybody should have the right to choose their pathway. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a part of a 12-step fellowship, and they didn't allow it there. And uh, I remember when I was 18 all the way till I got clean at 28 um, that I used to go to meetings and people treated me with love and they understood me Mm -hmm. they understood me Mm right? Like, and I felt like a lot of these people didn't understand me there and I couldn't really be myself and you couldn't really talk about drugs or any of this stuff that happened to you so I mean God bless them it's a great program but it just it wasn't for me for the long haul so Salvation Army was it And I stayed there for about 11 months after that. And uh, then I- In Hartford. In Hartford, yeah. How'd you even
1: find it? How'd you find that resource?
4: I have no idea. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: It's like your higher power just puts things in your life and you Mm -hmm. have no idea where they came from. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Teen Challenge. So to back up, how did I get to Teen Challenge? Yeah. Is what Phil asked. How I got there is my cousin was a pastor. And this was my moment of clarity that happened in my life. So I think that's important to to share with you guys is I had been and and this was summertime, mind you. So I had just gone through the most brutal winter. I think we had like five feet of snow that winter. And I was just trudging through it like a champ, in shoes, no boots, you know, like it was just as insanity as insanity could get. And like I made my decision and had my moment of clarity when the sun was shining. And it was like 92 degrees out. The perfect day to just be like, eh, maybe tomorrow. But um, my mom, I called my mom, and I had come to a a place where I was just like, she's like, will you go to church with me? And I looked back, and this is how I know my day is right, because Sunday when I went with her was actually the 4th of July had fell on that that day. So I was like, okay, Ma, you're right. (laughs) So... She had brought me to my cousin Ornella's house, um, and my cousin Ornella was praying with me, and she said to me, if you don't leave Springfield and go to Teen Challenge today, she's like, you're going to die. She said that? Just like that. And something shot through me, like I never believed anything anybody had said in my entire life, as much as I believed my cousin at that point in time, And she said if you don't leave you will die and i absolutely believed her and my mom wasn't standing i don't think my mom was standing there she like leaned over and whispered to me you know like thus say the lord type stuff and it literally like shocked waved me no and i was like all right i'll go and at that moment i literally surrendered and it wasn't easy because I snuck money into that place and there was heroin across the street every night when I couldn't sleep and I was shivering and shaking and slamming my legs on the bed and and just so sick and so, but I just didn't give up. I didn't give up and uh, thank God for that. (laughs) That's
1: because they weren't her words.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And when she said that to me. I've never believed anything in my life, even till this day, more than I believed her at that moment. She was like, "If you don't leave here, you're gonna die."
2: Uh, and and you were in? This was in Springfield. Where were you? Well, yeah. So, so she. So you were in Springfield, but she said you got to go to Teen Challenge in New Haven. Haven.
3: Yes. Isn't that wild? That is wild, especially wow. well she lived kinda of close to Springfield. It was like
2: uh
4: mm-hmm. well,
2: Town. Where did she live? Well, Wilbraham or something like but that. But it wasn't like a place close by, it was Teen Challenge New Haven. No, and, it was far
3: away. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> it was far away. My uncle Albert had gone the Teen Challenge and then Salvation Army just like me. Mhm. And he had um he had stayed sober till he died. So what was your uh, Salvation Army experience like? I love the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. They treated me good. They taught me how to be a productive member of society.
2: We're pretty close to the Salvation Army, right? We are. we are. So
3: <laughs> I brought a meeting back to the Salvation Army. I used to do a meeting there for on and off for about seven years. They actually just had to close down COVID. Now, they're not closed down everywhere, but the Hartford Center closed down after, I think, it's, I think it was there for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was heartbreaking to me. So this was an emotional thing that happened a couple months ago that I really had to work through because it, it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that center s- saved a lot of people, man, mm-hmm. a lot of people's lives, and they closed it down, which is very, very unfortunate. Wow.
4: Mm-hmm. It used to I house, like, that. 130
2: people. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know they had closed. To come out like, two months ago. Wow. Sorry to hear that. So you were... Are you working while you're at the Salvation Army, or you do, It's what work you doing? therapy. Yeah. So what were you doing? Uh, <laughs> a
3: little bit of everything. So I, I started out. in what they call brick and brack, was like the warehouse bringing. In. You know, yeah. if somebody goes to donate stuff, we bring it in in the yeah. wheelie, we sort it out, things like that. And then I was in the the other warehouse part. And then one day, the the captain there, Miss um, the the Miss uh, Saunders, she she was so great to me man she was like listen she's like there's so many people here right now she's like would you mind just like being like the grounds guy because at the time the deck had broke and everybody was smoking outside throwing cigarettes everywhere she's like i just wanted to clean up out here clean up the parking lot across the street and like over here on the side or stuff and she's like and you can pick whoever you want to help you so i got my buddy trent and i'm like hey let's go over here and <laughs> so we basically just walked around and like took care of the grounds uh made sure we picked up there's a lot of paraphernalia on that side of town so we would make sure the parking lot was clean there was no so we just kind of like hung around we strapped a, a boom box we drilled two holes and then like we had this big track rolling trash barrel so we like took these ropes and threw it around and strapped a, a radio to the top of the thing so we'd walk around with the radio and our little you know the grabbers oh yeah picking up the trash yeah. orca <laughs> we loved it yeah we we absolutely loved it it was it was the best so my last months there um i was just i just took care of the outside mm-hmm. you know and i smoked at the time too i smoked cigarettes at the time yeah so uh i used to like when i go out to smoke put it in the bucket mm. <laughs> so i was like the enforcer outside mm. <laughs> make sure you put it in
2: the bucket mm-hmm. so well, well you left and where did you go and what did you end up doing i went to um
3: so after the salvation army um Believe it or not, one of my friends, Larry, that I was at the Salvation Army with, uh, he found this this pastor, um, Pastor Bodie, in New Britain, and Pastor Bodie, man, God bless him, man. Like he let me and Larry like get one of his apartments for nothing, and he was like, "Listen, when you guys get some money, he's like, just pay me rent when you get it." And me and Larry are just looking at each other, like, "Is this real?" And he's like, "Yeah, you can have that downstairs." He's like, "There's two bedrooms, kitchen, everything." He's like so. He did, and I lived there for a while, for like a long time. And um, Larry, unfortunately went his way. I don't know where where he went at that time. I've I previously I know where he is now, but I don't know at that time where he had went. But um, me, I had stayed there for a little while, but I wanted to get my own place and start fresh. And I knew if I didn't come back to Harvard, I couldn't do that. So I had worked with a, a program over on. Um, Oops, on, uh, at CRT. It used to, it's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the CRTs like everybody thinks. It used to say home. And it was right at the beginning where the park is. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, if that's... you take the yeah, left, right. there yeah, yeah, there's it says home. There That building used to help people. It had a program that, like, for two years, if you worked with the case manager there, you would get subsidized housing for an apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I came back, but it took me a while to get on that. When I came back, I stayed in the north end at the House of Bread, for about nine months. Wow. Um, yeah, and I still worked in New Britain. So I took the bus from the House of Bread all the way to New Britain every single day for, mm-hmm. for a long, long time. And um, so from there, I went to, uh, I went I got my first apartment, which was in Elmwood, like right between Hartford and yeah. West Hartford. Oh yeah. yeah. Right next to the CVS, which was that group, the NA group across there was my home group
2: for like two years. Mm-hmm. I lived right
1: around public. the corner from there for a while. Okay. Yeah.
2: I love it there. I still love Elmwood. My first job was Puritan Furniture Mart, one of them in early recovery. Mm-hmm. Where's know, it? Puritan Fur- Furniture, it's oh, oh, a big store in Elmwood, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I used to love the Elmwood, um, used to, Elmwood Pizza used to be owned by this, this old couple, I think they were Greek people. They were the best. Mm-hmm. I used to go there every every Friday after the meeting. It's not owned by them anymore, but I don't even know why I mention that. But I used to love it. Mm-hmm. It was like, I don't know, it was comfort food. It was like one of those things I did it every Friday, and me and guys would leave the meeting and go there. It was like our spot to meeting after
2: the meeting. You had a routine, a connection, we, a connection. We were
1: driving through a town that we were in early recovery together and pointing out. I remember that pizza place, that friendlies, that yeah. pizza place. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of that going on, too. Yeah. So Those you, guys, routines. you guys
2: are both in recovery together.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Me and my wife, he had,
1: too. He had a three-year head start on me.
2: I had a three-year head start, and our dates would, I'd take her to a recovery meeting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. a big
2: spender. That's awesome. Yeah. But she had sometimes to buy her own ice cream at Friendly <laughs> I was so. going to say, sometimes you buy the coffee at the same time. You had a cream. much better job I than had, I did. Had a job. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we've been we've been to, so it's how many years and we've been doing that? 30? 30, 30 years 30 together years. doing that. Wow. Yeah.
1: 30 years I That's kissed amazing. him in the One day a at a time, <laughs> though. You got to be day. careful. Don't tell him
2: that story. Would you like Until to conduct later, an experiment? An experiment? He asked
1: me if I'd want to conduct an experiment, which was to kiss him.
2: Not really. Smooth I mean, operator. I would say that's <laughs> the last thing I would call myself as a smooth <laughs> operator. So I'm still waiting till you get this job before you get into uh, to car and you okay. talk about like. Boy, I mean, you a like you had a tough job. How? Weren't you like? delivering stuff oh oh yeah so um yeah so after um I'm driving truck i'm not delivering. crying
3: the whole time either so you guys know i have a chronic water eye thing. Mm-hmm. so because uh, i keep doing that i don't want everybody to think that I'm like constantly um so i had the uh when i was working so i worked at advanced auto parts the guy was the first person to give me a shot mm-hmm. uh, i worked there for about four years um, it's actually, it is, it is my, my longest job in recovery was advanced mm-hmm. auto parts. Um, there used to be a guy that would come in, uh, cause I worked a warehouse. So it was so cool. I started to drive parts and then this, this old guy in the back that ran the warehouse had quit one day and he gave me another shot. He's like, listen, I want you to run the department. He's like, I like your work ethic.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I was like, really? He's like, yeah, full-time benefits. I'm like for me it was like
4: oh i was like dude
3: full-time and benefits like i mean they they didn't pay me much but Mm -hmm. as i worked you know through it um they they gave me raises and stuff and they they kind of took care of me for what that company pays you know and um but you know what everybody at that job when my brother passed away was so supportive um and did like this big donation thing to help me and my mom with the funeral and stuff so you know, kudos to them, man, like, they, they were really good guys, man, and they always, everybody didn't like my boss, but I liked my boss, like, me and him clicked for some reason, but everybody was like, uh-uh. I'm not going to say his name, there. like, rah, rah, rah. I'm like, he's good to me, <laughs> you right. know, like, it's one of those things, I'm like, I like him,
2: yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I just like people in general, but, um, well, given how you lived on the streets, you probably had to learn how to get along with just about everybody.
3: I am very culturally competent, <laughs> <as> I <was laughs> say. Yeah. I am very open-minded to everything and everyone. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of people fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love people. Curious. Um, very.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, so the guy in the back when I was working in the warehouse was, um, he was like, oh, he's like, you know, you should go get your class A. And I'm like... I should go get my class A. And he would come in, and this this went on for like a year. It's not like he's like, you should go, and I went right to school. This went on for a year. I'd be like, I'm gonna get it. He's like, you're gonna go to school or what? I'm like, ah, you know, procrastination. I'm scared um, uh, to succeed, scared to do anything outside my comfort zone. I'm just gonna stay in this small little room and work here, that's it, I'm good with that. You know, I'm safe, I'm in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I took, with faith, I worked full-time, and I went to school full-time on the weekends. And I went, I got my Class A, and Which I... Which is what? So, a I... Class A can, is a
2: driver's license. It is a driver's oh, right. license.
3: So, I was a uh, 18-wheeler yeah. driver. Um, I have all the endorsements, even till this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I drive just about anything with wheels on it. And uh, I did it for a long time. Um But there was something missing Mm -hmm. so I drove a truck for a long time great way to make money I bought my first house in Manchester (laughs) you know we lived in Manchester over on Devon for a long time Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't anymore but I'm not going to say where I live Um,
2: uh, tell us what town you live in
3: no, no, because I don't know who's watching this. I don't know if people know where I live. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm only kidding. I live, I'm only kidding. I, okay. tell, I tell people all the time. I live in South Windsor. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like right next to you guys. So right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we had our first house. That was our, our very first home. When Grace was born, we decided uh, we needed to move um, somewhere um, with the what school you're saying assistant. we? Who's we? My wife. Yeah. My wife Lauren, yeah, yeah, she's also in recovery and she's mm-hmm. probably gonna be like, Really, dude? <laughs> 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 but that's okay. But because I love your guy's story, but um, uh, yeah. Lauren actually had more time than I did, like mm-hmm. you did, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been together um, almost well, nine years, almost ten years, so wow, yeah, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, we met at the Salvation Army, she was doing a woman's group, I used to run a men's group. Um, to help guys with their recovery and and spiritual stuff like that and Mm -hmm. um, That's how we met and we were friends for a long time before we ever dated Uh Yeah, we were friends for years before we ever Mm -hmm. went out and stuff and I think that made a
1: good relationship Yeah, friendship is a great foundation for our marriage
2: So you're driving truck you bought your first house in Manchester and something was missing
3: Yeah, I I was isolated all the time. I felt like I was, there was points where I felt like I was in active addiction again. Like I was out there walking with nobody and I was by myself again. It was, if I didn't have as much time as I had and had done as much work on my recovery as I did, there was points in my truck driving career that I surely would have used. In all honesty, there was times that I thought about it. There was times that I planned to do it. Um, there was times where I almost did it. Um, but by God's grace, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I'm sitting here today. Right. You know, but, um, you know, so I, d- it was, what was missing was I love people and I love being around people. And I was isolated in a truck and I wasn't helping anybody. And, uh, You know what really made me want to do what I do today is when um, and what really opened my mind to multiple pathways and different things that I didn't even know there was so much in the recovery world is when I was driving trucks, my wife one day was like, we're going to go to Washington, D.C. to United to face addiction. I'm like, what's that? (laughs) You know, like I'm a basement guy. Uh, I do my recovery in the basement. Mm -hmm. I have no clue what you're talking about, you know. Um, like, that's, I was just very, I'm a very, I was a very creature of habit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, no, no, I I go over here. This is what I do for recovery, you know? And uh, she was like, we're going to go to Washington, D.C. It changed my life.
1: We it were cha- there.
2: It changed my life. You guys were there? Yeah. I was, that was just a few days after I finished hiking the Appalachian Trail. We reunited
1: with all our kids at that event.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome.
4: Yeah.
3: It was such a great event. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to people there, and like, I'm like, yeah, where are you? I'm like, what fellowship you go to? They're like, I'm going to a fellowship, and they like explain to me what they do. And like, I'm like walking around and I'm meeting all these different people. I'm like, what's going on here right now?
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: I realized, and I'm like, these people were telling me about this, and I started to learn about all these pathways and all these different things people were doing. And I was like, I enjoy doing that stuff too. They're like, I'm like, really? I'm like, you use that for your recovery? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and like, even like this dork like I love writing, like, and then we have this event coming up, like I write poetry and spoken word stuff. And Mm -hmm. like, it's so amazing. Like we didn't get into recovery not to, to be us, to enjoy ourselves. Right. And there's so many different pathways. And I understand that now. There's so many great things to do in recovery. Um, I don't have to hide in the basement, you mm-hmm. know. And I realized that that day, and I was like, "Wow, I would like. I wish I could do something like that." And a couple years later, um, I started hearing all this stuff about recovery coaching and recovery coach trainings. So I decided to stop by Harford, check out the c Car Center, you know. Started coming by, heard that there was a training going on. I was like, you know what? I want to I want to get involved with Ccar. I'm like, but you know, because I still had to work all the time. I'm like, I can't do it like everybody else is doing because I have to work full time and truck driving's brutal. It's like I could work 60, 70 hours a week, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to pay for all the classes. And I'm going to go. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to be a recovery coach. So I came in and I I forget who was I forget who was working, but I'm like, I I want to take the class and She's like, oh, okay, which one? I'm like, all of them.
4: <laughs> all of them? She's that? like,
3: all of them. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, can you cut me, like, a, a small deal? I want to take all of them. A package. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay. <laughs> so she walked into the office and was like, this guy wants to take all of them. I'm mm-hmm. like, I want to take all of them. So I took every single training that car mm-hmm. had, and I fell in love with CCAR. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, my God. In these
3: trainings. I took, every, awesome I took yeah. every single one of them. I took Ethical, I took EDRC, Coaching in the Recovery, I took. Um, I met this awesome guy. Today, why I wear black is because of one of my trainings for professionalism. This guy that came did the training was from uh, West Virginia, and uh, I used to love this song. The only good memory I had with my dad was a Johnny Cash song about wearing black, and this guy came in and played that song, and I knew because I was at a point of forgiveness with my father like the spiritual thing that happened in that training and in all the different trainings told me that I was where I was supposed to be.
2: Was that the pet pa- was he a pastor? The guy He was a pastor. Yeah, well, and he was well.
3: also a politician. Right, and he right, had yeah. like seven hats. Yeah. But he was such a cool guy and we we would talk in between in the breaks and stuff and I was like and, and he was a chaplain too. And right. I've always like so before recovery coach and I had thought about doing chaplain work. And um, I just love you know the you know helping like first responders. I, I, I always love the idea of you know help the people that help people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we do, right? You know what I'm saying like and but all different all different hats of helping people, you know, transform people, transform people. Mm-hmm. and I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. and it's true, because I was transformed. I am definitely not the person, and I didn't even get into all the bad stuff. Like, I am not that person anymore, and I've definitely been transformed through the recovery process. And mm-hmm. I, But I don't close the door on the story part about it, and I share it with recoveries and people that I meet because I want them to know that recovery is possible. Mm-hmm. Like, even through all that trauma, even through all that stuff that I've been through, um, you know, growing up in, in different things like, recovery has given me a life that is so amazing Uh, and given me children that are amazing and a wife that's amazing and you know and a job in a company that's amazing like let's you know i mean like when people are like where you i'm like i work for c-card what do you do i'm like i plant seeds of hope they're like (laughs) Mm
4: -hmm. what
3: i'm like all day long that's what i do (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they're like what does that mean i'm like let me tell you what it means Mm
4: -hmm.
1: you know you mentioned it one of the first things you said was the hopelessness of um, that a friend of yours had, like utter hopelessness. And yes. I was just reading some notes that I took from the Multiple Pathways Recovery Conference two years ago, just yesterday. And Don coyas said that hope helps us transcend our circums- transcend our circumstances, mm-hmm. and so. You know the number of times you had to go through the doors. Thank God nobody said you you hit your quota. Mm -hmm. You know, and I. um, There are there are mechanisms in place in the world that tell you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're done. You can't. You know, I'm done with you. The door's not open to you anymore. And I just pray recovery just always stays open because I was lucky to get it on my first try, but I'm a pretty rare circumstance. All these stories that we hear on the podcast, thank God the doors were open when the person wanted to try again. And it's okay to try again and try again, to have that seed of hope, to be hope workers, to plant those seeds so that they come back.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. So how did you hear about what was your feeling about applying? How did you end up applying?
3: Oh, um, that's a good question. You know, I I don't know what you, so I had taken the emergency room um class and uh my RCA actually was uh you know um was was put on by Mike Askew and I had talked to him a lot and uh different stuff and found out a lot about C car and you know, Mike Askey was great, man, and and he, and then uh, Stacy was my other um, facilitator, mm-hmm. and she's always she's just great too, man. Like, mm-hmm. and they just they told me like I asked the right question, right? Like, what do we do? We ask good questions, right? Like, as as being a coach, and I asked good questions, and I got great answers, mm-hmm. and I just kept asking questions, and somebody was like, you know, we're gonna be hiring, and I'm like you know, I'm going to be applying. (laughs) 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 You know, somebody told me. I I forget exactly who it was that had told me um, that you guys were hiring. Oh, so I was actually, I was going through, uh, I think I was with John in spirituality when you guys started hiring. And my wife, I think my wife shot it through. Uh, Yeah, by the way, Cars hiring Mm -hmm. right now. And I'm like, oh. So I went right home, filled out the thing. I think that was my very last class. It was my very last class that I applied to the emergency room, recovery coaching. That's awesome. That's
2: where you started.
3: That is where I started, and I still love it. It's got a dear place in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I started as an emergency room recovery coach for the first year I was here with Mm CCAR. I loved it, and it's taught me so much, and it's made me a hundred times the resource broker I used to be. I mean, I was pretty good. I always got myself in treatment, by the way, too. Those 19 times, the seven (laughs) times, except for the very last one where my cousin told me where I was going. I was really good at finding treatment when I needed it. So you were were absolutely right when you were like, I think everything that you went through kind of prepared you um, to help other people find, Mm -hmm. you know, find what they needed. And I think that's what, because I'm very persistent. Mm-hmm. So I was very good at helping people get to where they needed to get, because uh, when I needed to get somewhere, i will knock on the door until they just finally were like, "Okay, just come in."
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I give up. <laughs> this guy's never going to give up. I don't give up. Just like in my recovery, I just, I just don't give up. So, but I built a lot of great relationships. I love the emergency room. The leadership was fantastic. Uh, I love them, her to death, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, you know, being being asked to, to to do the DOC thing was like the biggest honor and privilege um, when I first um, was asked by the boss, yeah. the, the other boss, <laughs> to come out. And, uh, you know, to do. I was like, yeah, I'll absolutely do that. And then, you know, the really icing on the cake is when I was asked to do the MPD thing, I was just like, wow. Like when, uh, when we had our staff meeting the other day, I said valued.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I felt valued. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was valued like as a coach as somebody that really wants to like help people. I felt like I was valued because two different times somebody came and said, you know, we 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 love you as a coach. You you're really good at doing what you do. We want you to do this. And I was like, wow. I'm like I really feel I really feel good as a person, man. I I I really appreciate the opportunity to to help the people that we serve, you know.
4: Mhm.
1: Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like with Manchester Police Department?
3: Can I do that, boss? You can. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's on a uh, it's on a referral system. So if anybody that um, comes in interaction, so Manchester Police want to change the outlook and help people get into recovery instead of help people get into jail, which I think right. is a beautiful thing. That's the short, the short form of it mm-hmm. is, um, the liaison, the, the, um, you know, the Lieutenant there, he gives everybody this form and it's very easy. They just fill it out. They send it to me. It comes to me through a protected document and I just kind of cold call them. hmm um, but it's it's been very successful. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a pretty good cold caller. I'm like, I, I'm here to sell you recovery. <laughs> All right. Awesome. But I just say, hey, uh, recovery coach, man, how can I help you in your recovery? And people just, well, let me tell you what's happening, okay? Yeah. I use exactly what we do at, at CCAR. I don't do anything different. I just, hey, man, this is Dominic. I'm a recovery coach, man. I really want to help you out. What, what can I do to help you in your recovery? I, I hit him with the same line every time. And they're like, well, you know, this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, let's sit down and let me let me help you do whatever you need to do, man. We can figure it out. And whether it's treatment, IOP, whatever it is that they want, mm-hmm. whether they want a different pathway, they don't want 12-step, they don't want, you know, whatever they want, I help them find the way
2: um, into recovery. So I know we're running time. so No, that's okay. okay. Um, but the last piece is I know you to be a man of faith. Talk a little bit about how faith has played a role in your recovery
3: oh wow so <laughs> I didn't think you were gonna ask that here <laughs> okay um, faith is my number one pathway um, for me um, my higher power you know the Lord what you know whatever people however people um, say God everybody has a choice in their understanding but my higher power is exactly what is the most important thing in my recovery. I spend all my free time seeking him, um, trying to give build a better connection with him, um, reading all kinds of stuff uh, about him and who he is and who he wants me to be. And I think that is the reason why I am who I am because of him. Mm hmm. So my, my faith in, in God is, it's what got me into recovery anyway. I didn't go to a typical, mm-hmm. a, and I came off of, you know, benzos. So I didn't know, I didn't know this until years later, that the amount of benzos I took um, on a daily basis, I could have very well died from detoxing by myself. And I had no clue about this. But But God kept me... Mm -hmm. He just kept me. I don't even know how else to say it, man. Like, with the amount of milligrams of methadone and the amount of benzos I took on a daily basis, I would have surely died. Um, And I had no clue the severity of of any of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I do now that I worked in the emergency rooms. I realized that. And I thank my lucky stars all the time. And Mm -hmm. I thank God all the time. Like, wow. I'm like, I could have definitely uh, been a guaner. But he told me to go there.
2: Mhm. So do you want to name him? It's okay.
3: It's okay. All uh, right. Well, I'm a I'm a Christian I believe in the Lord
2: Jesus Christ. Mhm. And that's what you owe your recovery in your life to. I this do. is your pathway. That is my pathway. All right. Well, now, like you I'm kind of like mesmerized by your story and just uh I can see how your mess is now a message and your test is Now a testimonial, I thank you so much for joining CCAR and for following the spirit because I know you've helped hundreds of people already and the best is yet to come.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dominic.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CCAR, the number four, Recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag RecoveryFirst to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at us. Fire feeds fire, so if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.